Good morning. It's a blessing to uh, be back at Anchor Baptist Church. <clears throat> it's been a while, and uh, my wife and I have been looking forward to this for several reasons. Uh, let's see, I think it was about four years ago. I can't remember the time. You could probably, uh, I, I need to talk to somebody about exactly when it was, but we were on a tour trip through this uh, part of the world, and we had a Wednesday night where I wasn't scheduled anywhere, and we came here to see the, uh, the uh, Jacobs, and uh, whenever we popped in on Wednesday night, found out that Brother Mark wasn't preaching, and Brother Shane Rice was preaching. And I remember after that service, I thoroughly enjoyed the message, and I told my wife, I've never met him before, but I like that guy. <laughs> and so I'm really glad it worked out, And because uh, if I didn't like him, I wouldn't have come here, but I did. So... Anyway, I, I, I did. I really enjoyed the message. I remember you preaching, and he had, he had a message ready. It was clear. It was biblical. It was right on. Just good Bible preaching. That's the need of the hour, no doubt about it. Man, what a great quote. I already wrote that down, and I don't think I got it exactly right, but I'll use it the way I have it, then I'll take credit for it that way. I won't have to get it. But anyway, that's a great quote. Treating sin like a cream puff instead of the rattlesnake that it is. That's, that's good. I really like that. I need to see the other ones too. All right. Uh, Sandra, would you stand for those that may not know you? This is my wife of the past 55 plus years now. And I want to thank God for her. And I'm glad she was able to come as well. 113th Psalm is where we're going to. Uh, spend our time in for Sunday school this morning, the 113th Psalm. <clears throat> now, rather than read these uh, nine verses and then work our way through them, we're just going to start and go through it. And uh, so I want you to notice that at the very beginning, the first four letters of the psalm, the first four words, I should say, of the psalm, praise ye the Lord. Look at the last four words of the song. Praise ye the Lord. Now, I recognize that this is not uh, exceptional or unusual for the Psalms, as many of the Psalms have much to do with the fact that the Lord ought to be praised. We understand that. But um, uh, if you look right across uh, the, the 112th Psalm, it's on the same page in my Bible. It says, praise ye the Lord. That's how it begins. And so we understand that many of the Psalms are like that. This one, though, stands out to me for several reasons. In fact, it got a hold of my heart a couple of years ago. And, and uh, I call it, it got me by the throat a couple of years ago and won't turn me loose. Just the nature of this Psalm is so meaningful to me. And I've tried to pass it on uh, to others as well. Uh, where he says, praise ye the Lord, in the first verse, praise, O ye servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. And then he goes on to the second verse, blessed be the name of the Lord, which is closely related, and then ends with, praise ye the Lord. Now, you don't have to have letters behind your name and uh, study languages to understand that this psalm has a good deal to do with the fact that the Lord ought to be praised. Now, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence here because I know the term praise is uh, used so frequently and everything. But just to make sure we get the clear definition and understanding because uh, through the process of time, there are those that believe they have recently discovered praise and praise music. And uh, so 
we're not going to go into that, but still there's a lot of strange, weird thinking out here about praising the Lord and worship and such as that. That's not necessarily biblical. But the word praise just simply means this. It has to do in the definition to shine a light on something. And when you study the uh, definition of the, you know, and follow the entomology here and study the word that we have uh, that became this word praise that we have in our text, it has to do with shining a light on some favorable or honorable characteristic. So to praise means we're going to call attention to that which is honorable, that which is praiseworthy, that which is uh, high in character. We're going to do that. And so we understand that it is throughout the Bible. In fact, you go to the book of the Revelation and we'll see that praise uh, that in, in, the, in the next life, in eternity, that he is going to be worthy of all kinds of praise. We're talking about from the angels and all the heavenly hosts and every creature and everything like that is going to be giving praise to God. It's going to be a noisome affair and a wonderful situation when the Lord is so praised. But what we got to remember is he is as worthy of our praise now as he will be then. And so that's why we want to give attention to it. Now, we know that the Lord is to be praised. Some people have said, I've heard it said something like this. We praise God or we praise the Lord, but we don't praise man. We do not praise man. Well, actually we do. If we study the definition of what uh, praise means. It means to call attention to a good quality, good characteristic, or some attribute of an individual. Now, can we do that and praise man? Well, absolutely. I mean, I got my wife right here. I've got biblical authority out of Proverbs 31 to praise my wife, you know, and, and to praise her in the gates. And so we do praise men. If I stood here and said, I already said something favorable about your pastor. I was praising your pastor. See? And so if you say something about your wife or your kids, especially grandkids, then what you're doing is you're praising your grandkids. See? That, that's what it means. However, I've kind of made up my own saying here. You might want to write this down. Uh, I'm just kidding. But I've made up my own saying here. We praise God and we praise man, but we don't praise man like we praise God. And that's a fact. Because even though I, am, I love to give praise to my wife, I could, if she weren't here, call attention to a couple of things that might not be praiseworthy. How dare you say it? Well, she's a daughter of Eve. She's a human being that had to be saved like the rest of us. And so if I said praiseworthy things about your pastor, it could be that after we know each other better, I might say, however. And I know he could say that about me. I understand that. And if not, we'd check with his wife and she could say, however. But when we talk about the Lord, there's no however. Uh, there's no, on the other hand, there's none of that. If we're going to talk about the Lord, uh, the only thing we can talk about are the favorable qualities, the favorable characteristics, the favorable attributes. That's God. So we can praise man, but we don't praise man in the same way that we praise God. So he says here three times, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And then if you look at verse number two, blessed be the name of the Lord, which is, as I mentioned, akin to praising the Lord, except blessed actually has to do with a physical posture. 
It has to do with a kneeling or a bowing. It's also akin to worship, but it's not exactly the same. But he said, praise ye the Lord and blessed be the name of the Lord. So it is obvious that the psalmist is calling attention to the fact that the Lord ought to be praised. Now here at Sunday School at Anchor Baptist Church, I'm sure that I'm amongst primarily Bible readers. I, I, would, I don't know those that might be guests here today or who might have come in here, but I can just say that uh, most people understand that the Lord is worthy of our praise. But let's imagine, borrowing from 1 Corinthians 14, where the unlearned or the unbeliever might walk in the room. Or they might hear us talking like this about praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We want to give praise to the Lord. He is worthy. It could be that an unlearned or an unbeliever might say, okay, I'm not saying he shouldn't be praised, but why? Well, that's a legitimate question. In fact, the psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit, took it into account. And he gives us the reasons uh, at least these reasons, that the Lord ought to be praised. Look at it in verse number two. Blessed be the name of the Lord, watch this, from this time forth and forevermore. Stop right there just a second. There'll never be a time he is not worthy of praise. Well, I mean, uh, Brother Sam, uh, sometimes life can take some strange turns. Really? That's sarcasm. Sorry, I didn't go over so good. Of course, life can take some strange turns. We probably don't need to be much reminded of that here in the past couple of years, do we? Things can take some strange twists and turns, which has nothing to do with the fact that he ought to be praised. Nothing in the world is going to take place that will distract from the fact that he ought to be praised, and nothing in your life or my life is going to take place uh, but what he is worthy of praise. From this time forth and forevermore. Nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to change. Nothing will change the fact that the Lord ought to be praised. And then look at the second verse. He breaks it down into a little narrower, uh, smaller chunk of time. When he says, from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the uh, Lord's name is to be praised. So whether it's from this time forth and forevermore or day by day by day, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is going to be praised, having nothing to do with our circumstances on any given day. Whether they are favorable, well, sure he's worthy of praise, or whether they are not favorable, he is still worthy of praise. I got kind of, I suppose, an ornery streak in me, but every once in a while I've done this, I don't do it to everybody, but uh, somebody will come up and say, hey, Brother Sam, you know what? I got that job. I mean, this is my dream job. This is what I've been looking for. I've been getting this job. Uh, I, I've been wanting to get this job for a long time. I got hired. I got this job. I said, well, that's wonderful. Yep, he said, the Lord's good. Praise the Lord. The Lord's good. And I said, he is. And if you'd have got fired today and you had no job, he's good. And they look at you like, well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. But that is true if we're talking about the fact that the Lord ought to be praised. And if the test result from the doctor comes back and it's negative and it's not malignant or it's not something that we dreaded, and uh, so that is a relief, <laughs> the Lord's good. Right. And if we're all laying on our deathbed, the Lord's good. 
that's because nothing changes the fact that he is worthy of our praise. From the rising of the sun, can you find a better way to start the day than praising the Lord? That's why it's good to get in the Bible because you won't read far until you understand the Lord is mighty, the Lord is all-powerful, the Lord is wise, the Lord is good, the Lord is gracious, the Lord is merciful. It's cover to cover in this Bible. And the Lord is righteous and he is holy, see, and he ought to be praised. From the rising of the sun, can you think of a better way to end a day than praising the Lord? I have my own little routine, I'll spare you of it, but my own little routine of praising the Lord at the end of the day when my head hits the pillow, I'm going to spend a few minutes, if I, it, it, sometimes I've gone to sleep doing this, that's fine. But the last thing of the day, I was praising the Lord by song. Yes, I sing. Unless she goes to bed at the same time I do, then I spare her of that and I do it inwardly. But, but I sing to praise the Lord. Rising of the sun, going down to the same. I, I'm not trying to be legalistic, like if you're not spiritual, if you don't do that. But I am teaching and preaching that there's not a better way to start the day than praising the Lord. And there's not a better way to end the day than praising the Lord. That's what he is saying. Now let's get to the reason why. Verse 4. Let's just take the first four words to begin with. The Lord is high. So the psalmist, ladies and gentlemen, begins to call attention to the high and lofty nature of God. Question, do you think this is needed in our day and time, in our society, our culture? Yea, our churches, so-called, many of them so-called churches. You think this is necessary to call attention to this or not? The highness of the Lord or the high and lofty nature of God. Now, this is the information age. Anybody can find this out that can do a computer. I'm not a computer person myself, but I'm just saying I know the information is out there. So I didn't bring statistics from the past and statistics from the present. Anybody can find this out. That let's go back to the year that my wife and I started out in the ministry 54 years ago this past summer. 54 years ago. That was 1967. And in 1967, if you study those that studied the culture and society, and they cover the areas of religion, you know, Pew Research, Barna Research, and all these research groups that are around the country, here's what you'd find that in 1967, there was a strong uh, percentage of people in the United States of America that definitely believed in God, and a very small minority were so-called atheists. Okay, so uh, there were, and then you go to talk about the authority of God, uh, the belief in the Bible, that Jesus is the Son of God, and the percentages were very, very high. It doesn't mean everybody was a Christian in the country, obviously. It doesn't mean everybody went to church and tried to do the right thing. But there, were, there was a basic understanding that God is. There was a belief in a real heaven, and a larger percent believed in a literal hell. And those were the statistics of that day. But mainly I'm concerned about those that had high regard for God. And now, again, the information is out there. The opinion and the thinking about God has consistently gotten lower and lower and lower. And to make matters more difficult or to make it worse, pulpits are accommodating the lesser thinking about God. 
because most of the pulpits of the United States of America function sort of like this. Which way is the wind blowing? What is it that people are wanting to hear? What is it they don't want to hear? And then they go with that and craft sermons and ideas of God. It reminds me of the couple I met on the airplane. I'll spare you the long story of it. But I met on the airplane highly educated people in their early 40s trying to retire by the time they're 50. Didn't want to have kids because they get in the way. And I started talking to them. I had my Bible open. I'm on an airplane. He's sitting by me here and she's sitting by the window. And I'm starting to talk to them and uh, to, about their soul and so forth. And he cut me off and cut me off. And I tried to come this way and that way. You know what I'm talking about. And finally, the man said, look, we, uh, we don't read the Bible. And he said, if there is a God, he is who and what we think he is, or we don't want anything to do with him. I said, well, he's not. And you do. He's not who you think he is. He's who he is. I said, he's not who you think he is. He is what he's revealed himself to be. And you do have to do with him. Because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And so that kind of thinking is a very popular notion. And as we have turned more inwardly in this me culture, in this me focus on the self society, then there are, believe, there are people that say they believe that whatever they think about God, that's who he must be. And if you think this and you think that, and it's totally contradictory, no problem. Uh, we're pluralistic here so that everybody can be right, right, right. Two plus two is nine or whatever. Everybody with me here? And, and I'm going to say again, what is so sad that instead of pulpits confronting the unbelief and the wicked thinking of our culture, they have grown to accommodate them and speak lesser of the high and lofty nature of God. Well, he's not going to change. I said, he's not going to change for any culture. One of the great things about singing it in the room this morning, great is thy faithfulness. And that one verse has to do with the immutability of God. He is who he is and what he is and what he's revealed himself to be. He cannot be other than who and what he is. And he's high. How high is he? We'll look at your verse. He's high above all nations. Let's stop right there. <laughs> this really gets my attention. He is high above all nations. Now, read the book of Genesis and you'll see how the nations came into existence. And it is God that made or formed the nations, and it is God that sets the boundary of the nations. And so nations exist not because some, uh, some not, not because of some, uh, what, what am I trying to think of, some big meetings of human beings, conclaves of men getting together and saying, okay, you have a nation and you, no, that isn't how it happened. God made the nations. Nations are significant. You can't read the past and not think that nations are not significant. They are. You can't read prophecy without understanding about the significance of the nations. Is everybody with me here? And you and I have a responsibility to pray for those who are in places of authority. Now, I, I, have, uh, I struggle with that. I pray about some of them that I'm supposed to be praying for, I think. You know what I mean? And so we're supposed to pray for those that have places of authority. And we have that responsibility. And so we do understand that human government is ordained by God, and we understand that government is significant and it is important. 
but we are also supposed to understand that he, the Lord, uh, Jehovah, God, is above all nations. See? So when the United Nations meet in New York City, may the Lord forgive us for that being on our soil. But when the United Nations meet, why there's great significance, heads of state, kings and prime ministers and presidents and leaders of the world. I, I understand, I understand. They're, it's significant. They are significant people. But I understand this also. You can put all of them together and all of their people together and the Lord is not above the nations. He is high above the nations. He is high above all nations. Now at this point, you might want to mark it in the margin because I'm not going to take time to turn to it. But you might want to jot down in the margin there and go look at it later, Isaiah 40. Because in Isaiah 40, it's a famous verse for the end there. We shall, uh, he, he shall mount up with wings as evil eagles, uh, run and not be weary, walk and not faint and all of that. Okay, but in the earlier part of the chapter, you know what it says? It says that the nations, are you listening to this? The nations to God are as a drop of a bucket. Whoa. Now, I, I, yeah, I'm a farm boy. Hey, buckets. I was raised up with buckets. We didn't have running water in our house uh, that you could drink and a well that was pitiful. You could run a bathtub full of water and you're out of water, you know. So we did our water out of the cistern. And we drank and my mom cooked out of water that's in the bucket. And growing up, it seemed like I went to bed at night hearing it in my ears. Sam, we need a bucket of water. Sam, we need a bucket of water. Sam, I'm the fifth out of six kids, and there, you know, others had seniority, and they weren't lower themselves to get it. And others, I guess, had a broken arm, and I was the only one that could get a bucket of water. So I'd get a bucket. That's the way it seemed. I may exaggerate just a little bit. But anyway, I'd get a bucket of water. And we milk cows. We milk cows. I told my kids 30, but it was three. I know there was a three in the number there, but milk uh, cows. And I know what it is to stay down to milk a cow in a three-gallon bucket and get a drop of milk in it. It doesn't look like much. My mom had big gardens, and this is how we lived, how we ate. It wasn't a hobby she liked. It was work. And I remember in the summertime, uh, my wife would, I mean, my mother would say to me, Sam, you, you got to water the tomato plants, water these and that. And that meant pump it out of the cistern, carry five gallon buckets out there. And I'd carry two. My arms are at that time were about that big around. And I'd carry these buckets of water out there, stumbling around, trying to carry them. I had to hurry and get done because I had more important things to do. My mother never stopped to check the heat index to see if it was safe for me to be out there doing all this kind of work. It's just go do it. And I can tell you what a drop of water looks like in a five-gallon bucket. And in the Oklahoma heat, you've got to look quick because they won't be there long. That's true. And I know if you have a five-gallon bucket full of water, you take one drop out, you're not even going to notice it. Now, the point is, I didn't say this. God's Word said it. The prophet Isaiah, inspired by God, said, The nations before God are as a drop of a bucket. That does not mean, therefore, that we look at it and say, yeah, nations don't matter, they're a drop of a bucket. Now, wait a minute, not to you, not to me, not to humanity, but to God. So what we're, what we're supposed to see is not the insignificance of nations, 
but the great immeasurable infinite significance of God who is high above all the nations so that the nations, if we could see God as he is. Now we don't. He's incomprehensible. We live with these finite minds. We're very limited in our ability. Come on, somebody say amen. Don't look at me. Not, not me. Not, no, no. And yeah, we, so we live in these finite minds and we go to thinking about the eternality of God. My, our, our, I'm, I, I think it, others are no different than me. Your mind falls off out there somewhere. It's too much. It's too much. So I've been asked, why didn't God just reveal himself fully as he is? He'd kill you, that's why. Our minds are not made for that. We are finite. We are limited. He is not. In any way, he is not. He is the infinite one. And he is high above the nations so that the nations are as a drop of a bucket. But it doesn't stop there in Isaiah 40. He said so that the nations are as nothing compared to the loftiness and the greatness of God. Well, Brother Sam, I'm not sure I can think that high. I'm, I'm sure you can't. I'm sure I can't either. I can try. But again... When I get to thinking about the high and lofty nature of God, Isaiah 57, 15 says, He inhabits eternity. He's everywhere. His throne is heaven. The clouds are the dust of His feet. The earth is His footstool. <laughs> I'm trying to say, God's high. That's what the psalmist is saying, that He's high. He's high above the nations. And look at it else in verse number 4. His glory is above the heavens. It's interesting, I just saw a little uh, article. I noticed it yesterday and I read it uh, earlier this morning. And this article says that the earth, I don't know if you know this or not, but the earth one day is going to be suffocated because of lack of oxygen. And so uh, the oxygen is going to diminish. It's going to pretty soon... Uh, eventually, I should say, uh, it, lose oxygen fast. And then if man hasn't discovered um, a, another planet on which we can live, then it'll be the end of humanity. And according to the article, we only have approximately a billion years to get prepared for this. <laughs> so this is going to happen. See. And so then they got to talking about that we're going to have to look outside of our universe. And then the article had something to say about the new technology and how far they're able to expand and to observe beyond our universe. And uh, scientists are now struggling. This article didn't say, but scientists are now struggling with the technology enabling them to see farther and farther and farther. And the farther they look, the farther there is to look. And they're struggling with this idea of all of this existing as a result of chance because the harmony of everything that is is so perfect that if something was out of sync anywhere, it would all be destroyed. So they're almost believed to have that kind of harmony in that vastness of creation. There almost has to be something intelligent out there. You reckon? Yeah. Well, here's what the scripture says. I can go to seed on that stuff, but I got I to stay with it here. His glory is above the heavens. 
How high is that? <laughs> You're asking me? I, I don't know. But however far they can look, his glory is above that. Is everybody with me here? He's infinite. He is the infinite one. Jehovah, self-sufficient, self-existent one, needing nothing and no one to be who and what he is. That's God. And his glory is above the heavens. Do you ever look out, like I'm a simple person, look out on a starry night? I said, my wife and I were in Montana in 2018, and we were in the southern part of uh, Montana there in a little town called Dillon, Montana. And after we, I preached uh, that day on Sunday, the pastor and his wife, and I think another couple or two, were with us, and we were starting a camp meeting the next day, and we went and closed down this pizza shop after church Sunday night, you know, and store in this little town, and had great fellowship, and uh, finally, we knew we better get out of there, so I went outside, and I was waiting on others. As I walked outside, and I looked up into the big sky country, is what they call Montana, I looked up into the sky, and it was just, it was just spectacular. I mean, it was just spectacular. And uh, so the pastor eventually came out. He's a man about my height, and a lot more of him than there is me, and an outdoorsman, and a hunter, and, and all of this kind of thing, a, you know, masculine guy and everything. So he was, um, he, he came out and I said, man, look at that. Yeah, well, that right there, I called it that I said, look at that star right there. He said, that's not really a star. That's a planet there. And he starts going around. He starts getting real technical. And I, I'm listening to him and he's pointing stuff out nonstop. And I think he's making it up. And then I realized he can't be making it up that fast. He, he's not that brilliant. And so I'm, I'm looking around. And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? How did you know all of this stuff? He said, oh, you didn't see nothing yet. Goes over to his pickup, gets out a tripod and sets up a big scope, a microscope. Or not a microscope, what do you ever call Telescope, yeah. Uh, tell, that's a, I'm really up on it, aren't I? Telescope. And sets up this telescope and he says, oh, man. He's just, oh, wow. Oh, Brother Sam, this is your lucky day. Whoa. He's just, I mean, slobbering all over himself, having a good time here. And he said, come, come look at this. Come look at this. And I said, okay, okay. And so I got ready to see something real spectacular. I looked up there. Honestly, I have no idea what the man saw. I, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't see anything that made me feel anything. And he said, well, what do you think of that? And I knew if I said, well, I don't see anything, we'd be there all night long, you know. So I said, never seen anything like it, which was true. I'd never looked through one of them. So I'd never seen anything like it. But I can just say this. Then he started telling about the harmony of the universe and beyond and how that scientists are greatly amazed at that harmony and what could happen if one little something was out of sync. And, and he says that he is high, his glory is high above the heavens. Beautiful sky. That, Montana thinks that's a unique to Montana, but I've seen it in Oklahoma too. I even saw it look good in Texas once. So, I mean, I'm just saying, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Utterly amazing. Right. And God says, my glory is above that. You know what we're supposed to do? Say amen. His glory is above that. 
You know what it leads the psalmist to do? Ask the next question in verse 5. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Well, that's an easy one to answer. There's none like the Lord our God who dwelleth on high. And that's a, that is a question of amazement. It, it is a question of awe. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Now look at the next verse. This is the one that got my attention and made me tie into this psalm. Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. Now look, friends. I've seen the sunset. I'll never forget a time with my boy. It had to be 35 years ago, probably. He was five. He's 40 now. And, and we were driving down Interstate 35 at sunset and going to the south and looking off to the right across the plains in Oklahoma. I'm not kidding you. The sunset was just astounding. I've been seeing it since I was a little boy. But, I mean, it was just astounding. It, it is in many places of the world. I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm just saying. Along I-35 and the plains there, you could just see forever. And the sunset. Uh, you know what my son said? Hey, Dad. He had a low voice for a little kid. I said, what? He said, you think we can just pull the car over here and thank God for letting us see that? I said, no, we don't have time for that. Yeah, of course we did. Of course we did. I pulled over to the side of the road and we prayed and thanked God for letting us see that. Yeah. If you, you, you've done that. You've seen something. Maybe like I've been to the Berkshire Mountains three times and the October, this time of year, right about now, next week, 14th, 15th is when, if everything's right, the colors peak there in Western Mass, Western Connecticut. Oh, I've stood there on Mount Adams outside of uh, North Adams, Massachusetts, stood out there and look across the vistas of the Berkshire Mountains as the sun comes out and the mist rises and the sun hits those leaves and just explodes with color that will bring tears to your eyes. Did mine. And all I can say is, oh God. <laughs> Amazing. Same thing happened. She and I was going up the coast of California for her 50th anniversary. We took a bunch of time. And, uh, we drove up there. She loves the ocean. We drove from north of San Francisco all the way up to the Columbia River to Astoria, Oregon, and drove up that coast. Just amazing beauty. Changes from here to there. Utterly, I mean, oh, Lord. How many times do we say, praise the Lord? Look, I mean, oh, Lord, look at this. It's amazing. The vastness of the ocean, the beauty of the coast. That little boy I was talking about, we had two girls. Sandra had a miscarriage. Seven years had passed, and we're having another child. And that doctor said, you got yourself a boy. I about passed out. He put the boy in my hand. I looked at that body, that skin, the ears, the eyes, the nose, the formation. I'd, I'd heard there's however many million cells in every eyeball. All of that is blood. I, nothing made me look at that and say, what an accident. That's what the evolutionists would have us believe. Sheer chance. And I stood there with tears just saying, oh, Lord, amazing how great thou art. 
What can you do? What can you say? Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? And here's what God showed, uh, shows us in this passage. Son, my child, my daughter, what you see of my creation that makes you look up and give me praise, I humble myself to even behold it. I am so high and lofty above my creation. I, that's what it says. I humble myself to even behold it. Which brought this question to my mind. If God must humble himself to even behold this to us amazing creation, if he must humble himself to even behold it, question, what kind of humility did it take for God to become man? Come here for the sole purpose of dying for my sin and your sin and the sins of the whole world. Well, there again, our mind can't even comprehend it. He's so high above his creation. I said he's so high above his creation that he must humble himself to behold it. And yet, Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death. The lowest rung on the ladder of humiliation is the cross of Calvary and even the death of the cross. And you know what's sad? There are people redeemed, saved, bought by him that can hear from him through teaching, through preaching, that are too proud to bow the knee and get on their face and worship God. Altar calls in this country across the board, in churches. I'm not talking about everything called a church. I'm talking about authentic churches are bare compared to what they used to be. Why do you think that is? Well, God's just not moving around. It's just this P-R-I-D-E. When we become aware of his loftiness and our need of him and our sinfulness and we're too proud to bow ourselves, and answer him and worship him and humble ourselves before him, something is wrong. Amen. Yeah. Because see, he did for us what he's talking about here. Because the next verse goes on and said, he, he raiseth the poor out of the dust. He lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. Can I have your attention? If you're saved and you know Jesus, I don't care if you lived in a mansion and are a millionaire. Without Jesus Christ, you, you, you need brought up out of the dust. Right. Right. 
There are people out here that have education, that have money, that have possessions, that have power and have authority, and they're living in the dunghill. It doesn't have to do with a wretched way of life and misery and living on the street, that too. But he came here to take people like us and lift us out of the dust. Watch this. And, and to lift us out of the dust and to raise us, raise us out of the dust and lift us out of the dunghill that he may send him among princes, even the princes of his people. Make something of our lives. Yeah, my life hasn't counted for much. Can you think where you'd be without Jesus? Without salvation? Without the grace of God? Without the mercy of God? Without God? Wow. Hmm. Let me show you one more amazing thing. I got, I'm only going to read it. Look at Isaiah 57. I don't have time to preach it. My time is up. But I just want you to see it with me. This, this is so amazing. Verse 15, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus, don't worry about this being out of context. It'll fit any context in the Bible. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, higher than we're able to even think. With him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. When it's all said and done, what can you say? Praise the Lord. That's all that's left to say. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Pastor? With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, Father, we thank you. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the messenger. God, may we see you for who you truly are. And God, may we see us in comparison in light of who you are. God, may we be humbled. May we be grateful the great love that you bestowed upon us in sending your son to this earth to die on the cross of Calvary to take our place. God, that we would put our faith and trust in you and be saved and God not face eternal damnation. Truly what a wonderful, great God you are. God, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, maybe you just want to thank God for who he is.